a thing that I can say about um, our coming here was that we knew that God had something for us next. We had no idea what it was. We were kind of wrapping up our, our time where we were last, and um, it was the leadership and the hierarchy of this church, so that being Charlie, Joel, and David. Um, but then it was also, it was you. It was your stories that we were hearing. We were hearing about how God was doing great things in this community, about how he was transforming lives and how people would start out as not even believers, not interested in Jesus whatsoever, and then they were moving all the way through the pipeline of the church and were being elders and were being sent out. And I said, man, I want to be a part of that. I said, I want to be a part of that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of 1 Timothy. We'll start in chapter 4. If you've been with us for any brief period of time, you know that that's where we have been for a long time, and we will probably continue there for a long time. It's 1 Timothy. It's been good. But before we get started, let me go ahead and pray, and let me just, let me ask the Lord to just remove me from this situation so that he would be glorified and so that he would be lifted high in this place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the gospel, the good news of the cross, God. And we pray that this morning that your glory would just be known in this place, Lord, that somehow the glory of God, Lord, would indwell in this place and that we might see how good and how sweet you are, that it might transform and change our lives. God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll actually start out just, let me give you just a little bit of context as to what's been going on here. We'll start in kind of a little bit in 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy chapter 3. He says, I hope to come to you in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He... It's kind of weird that he says that. It's not, he says, this is the mystery of godliness. And he starts off with a he, talking about Jesus here. He says, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So Paul says, he says, I'm writing this book to you, Timothy, so that you and the church at Ephesus and now us might know how to behave in the church. And he says that the church is this buttress of truth. It is, the church is, is something that is upholding truth. We live in a culture today where everybody wants truth. They want to get their hands on what truth is, to know it, to live by it. And that's what the church does. The church upholds the truth. It sends out truth. It proclaims truth. It passes on truth. That's what the church does. He says, this is your job as the church. You are a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And then immediately in chapter 4, whenever we start, we see this problem in the church. We see this problem. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he says, listen, the church is a buttress of truth, but immediately he goes into a problem within the church at Ephesus. He says there's false teachers among you. 
He says, there are people in your church that are teaching, we talked about it last week, it's this idea called asceticism. And asceticism is simply this, that it's a belief that by abstaining from certain types of food and by abstaining from marriage, that if we abstain from things in this world, that God will be pleased with us. Let me just not do this, not do this, and by abstaining from those things, God is happy with me. It's not the blood of Jesus but it's by my abstaining from those things. And people are teaching this in the church at Ephesus. They're, they're, it's going rampant. And Paul says, sadly, this is that people are going to leave the faith because of these teachers. He says they're here right now. They're in our home groups. They're, they're with us right now, but one day they will not be with us because of false teaching. He says they are here, but one day they will not be And so then he goes on, and he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. You see, the church at Ephesus was being lied to in two ways, okay? They were being lied to in two very specific ways. The ascetics who were in the church were teaching, number one, they were denying the goodness of God. They're saying God doesn't want us to have these things. These gifts that God has given us, God doesn't intend for those to be good. They were denying the goodness of God. And the second thing that they were doing was they were distorting the word of God. They were taking God's word and they they were twisting it to say something that it did not say. Now, it should sound very familiar to us, right? In the very beginning, Adam and Eve, how are they tempted? They were tempted by Satan in the garden who was doing both of those exact things, who was taking the goodness of God and he was denying it. He says, no, God does not want you to have that. And then he was distorting the word of God and says, no, 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 it's not because, it's not because God wants you to do this. He says, it's because God knows that you'll be like him. And he was taking both of those things. He was denying the goodness of God and then he was distorting the word of God. And I have something to say to this morning. False teaching will always appear that way. False doctrine will always appear that way in the church. Folks will come in and they will deny the goodness of God and say, no, God's not good. God doesn't want us to have this. And then they'll twist the word of God. And they'll make God's word say something that it does not say. And they'll imply things that were not meant to be implied. False teaching will always appear in this way. And so Paul says, if we're going to fight off this false teaching, if we're going to fight off this false doctrine, which is for us to do, it's our job as the church, it's our job as the buttress of truth, it's our job to fight off this false teaching. And he says, you do this by being a good servant of Christ Jesus, in verse 6, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. Church, the one way, a, a good way for us to fight off false doctrine in the church is to know the gospel. Is to know the gospel. He says, you fight off these things by being trained in the words of the faith. Church, we fight off false teaching and false doctrine by knowing the gospel. And the gospel is simply this. It literally means good news. It's a translation for good news. And here is the good news that you and I, we ran as far away from God as we possibly could. We said, I don't want you. I want to live a life for myself in sinfulness I want to separate myself as far as I can away from God. We ran in our rebellious hearts. 
And here is the good news that although we were sinners, Christ died for us while we were sinners. And he sent his son, God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And by faith in Christ, we can be reconciled to God. Amen? By faith in Christ, we can be reconciled to God. And a good way for us to fight all false doctrine in the church is to know the gospel, the goodness of the gospel. But that's not the only way that we fight all false doctrine in the church, is it? That's not the only way that we fight all false doctrine. He says you fight all false doctrine by being trained in the words of faith. And then he goes on. He says, rather, train yourself for godliness. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So another way that we combat false teaching is by living a life of godliness. Another way that we fight false teaching in the church is by living a life that backs up, that we say that we, we're actually doing who, the we, who we say we believe in. And so he says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Because if we believe that God is good and that his word is true, it changes the way we live. If we believe that God is good and that his word is true, it changes the way we live. 1 Peter 2.12 sums this up perfectly. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our conduct is to be in step with what we say we believe about Jesus so that others might see and know that this Jesus is real, that this Jesus is good. Whenever they see our conduct, whenever they see that we're different than what we used to be, they might glorify God. So how do we do this? How do we live in such a way that proves we believe in Christ? How do we back it up, pretty much? And he gives us the answer right here. In that, he says, rather, train yourself for godliness. He says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving and full of acceptance. So we train for godliness. We back up who we say we are by training to be like God. And he already told us what godliness is. Remember? He told us what godliness is. It's Jesus. So if we're going to be godly, we're transforming our lives to look more like Jesus. That's what being godly is. It's looking like, more like Christ and less like ourselves. But he says you must train for this. And he goes on and he says training. And he says toil. And he says strive. It's not easy. We have to set a routine for ourselves. Set a routine for training for this godliness. So whenever we moved here um, back in August, one of the things that I was most surprised by was it seemed like everybody was always like running or talking about their health or talking about some kind of diet that they were on or something like that. And, and it was never better displayed by all these people that walk around with this bracelet on their wrist. It's called a Fitbit. Uh, and if you don't know what a Fitbit is, or if you, 
I'm sure that you've probably met somebody that has a Fitbit because they would tell you that they have a Fitbit and that they care about their, their training and so forth. A Fitbit simply, it just monitors how many steps you take in a day. It monitors how active you are and so forth. And so whenever we moved here, I was really surprised by the people. Man, people really care about their health around here. And so I have to ask you today, how are you training for godliness? We'll wake up at 5 in the morning and go run for miles and miles, and we'll buy these bracelets so that we can monitor our health. And those things are good. Those things are great. But he specifically says right here, bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Christians, how does your life match what you say you believe about Jesus? How does your life match what you say you believe about Jesus? Where does your money go and say, this is how, I believe in Jesus this way and this is where my money goes. I believe in the gospel, and this is how I'm raising up my kids. I believe in the gospel, and so this is how I act in love and in grace towards my neighbors. I believe in Jesus, and I've been changed. How does your life match what you say you believe about Jesus? How does your life match it? So Paul says in Romans 7.15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. So even Paul, who was set apart by God, who is this, this church planner, who is strong in the faith, he, even he says that sometimes, I, man, I struggle. He's real with us in the Scriptures. He says, man, I, I, I struggle to be like Christ in all the things that I do. And sometimes I do the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I really want to do for Christ, I don't do those things. It's a struggle for us. We as Christians live in this this scenario of already but not yet. We've already been saved, but we have not yet been made perfect. We've already been saved. Our, Our sins are paid for. They're covered by the blood of Jesus, by our faith in Christ. They're covered, but we have not yet been made perfect. And we are in this battle. We are in this warfare between being saved and and being justified and worshiping Christ and saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do the things that he has done. I want my actions to back up who I say I am. And then on the other side, we still have this flesh in us that says, be happy, indulge in sin. You don't want those things of God. And so Paul, even the man who's a church planner, whenever he struggles That's why he says we have to train for this. this, Is this physique, like does this look like I'm going to go and compete in the Olympics next year? It doesn't look like I'm going to go do that. Like I I can't just go and like sign up like I'm I'm in, sign my name up, pay my $50 or whatever like that, and then go and be in the Olympics. Like it's going to take training and years and years and years of, of training for that. And in the same way, we must do that for godliness. So this is going to sound like a crazy question, all right? And some of you women, just bear with me. It's going to sound like a very crazy question, but I promise I'm going somewhere with this. How many of you have ever been in a fight? How many of you have ever been in a fight? Okay, you can raise your hands, show your hands, okay? You've been in, some of you, I'm surprised that you have raised your hands. Others of you, I'm surprised that you haven't raised your hands. Uh, I'm just kidding. 
So if you know that something is about to go down, if you're in a crowd, let's just pretend with me for just a second, you're at the circus, you're at the fair, you know that something is about, there's always a rowdy crowd there. So you know that something is about to go down. All right? Somebody's, somebody's getting hostile, somebody's getting violent. Do you stand there with your hands to the side, kind of like your head tilted back? Do you stand there like that if you know something's about to go down? No, you're, you're kind of hunkered down, got your hands up, you're ready to go, okay? Like you know that something's about to go down, you're, you're preparing, you have a posture to defend yourself. And in the same way, sometimes whenever we are pressing into this godliness thing, whenever we're training for godliness, Sometimes we have good, good postures, and other times we just have flat-out terrible postures. Sometimes we have good postures. Sometimes we're, we're ready for this. We know it's coming. This is how I'm going to defend myself. This is how I'm actively going to get better in this. And other times, yeah, so what? I sinned. I messed up. So this morning, what we're going to talk about and what I hope to unpack are a good few ways that we can add to our life and add to our routine so that we can become more godly in our lives. I hope to talk to you this morning and add a few ways that we might be able to then discipline ourselves in the battle. So he says, train for godliness. The first way that we can train for godliness, the first good posture that we can have towards this sinfulness in our, in our souls and in our hearts is to obey Christ rather than your flesh. Obey Christ rather than your flesh. It's as simple as that. Whenever these moments come, whenever these tensions come between you knowing what is the right thing to do and knowing what is the wrong thing to do, obey Christ rather than your flesh. See, if the Holy Spirit lives within you, you have power now to say no to those things. That is the beauty of it. If the Holy Spirit lives within inside of you, you have the option of not sinning. You can abstain from those things. Paul says in Romans 8:13, he says, "For if you live according to the flesh, with some harsh words here, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live." But if by the Spirit you put to death those deeds of the body, you might live. Do you hear the language there? It's a very uh, survival type mentality. Put it to death. One of my favorite uh, authors and pastors, John Piper, says, whenever sin arises and whenever temptation arises, you greet it with the sword of the Spirit. You greet it with a sword. You put that thing to death before it takes over. Paul again says in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, uh, 9, 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So we, we beat our bodies into submission and we do this repetitively. 
So whenever you wake up in the morning and you want to go and soap and you want to have a time of prayer and you want to do the right thing and says, no, nah, I just, just want to sleep. I worked, I worked all day yesterday. I don't want to do those things. Greet it with the sword. Obey Christ rather than your flesh. At night, whenever you have an opportunity to spend time with your family and the flesh says, no, let's just watch television tonight. Let's just enjoy ourselves tonight. Let's not teach the kids. Let's not, let's not spend time with my spouse. Greet that with the sword of the Spirit. And obey Christ rather than your flesh. I think the biggest thing for our culture today is lust. Whenever you feel this temptation of lust coming within your soul and within your heart that says, follow me, lust after this, do this, greet it with the sword. Obey Christ rather than your flesh. But see, here's the funny thing. After we start obeying Christ rather than the flesh, here's the funny thing that happens. Over time, we begin to take delight in doing the right thing. We began to enjoy doing the right thing rather than the bad thing. So let me give you just an example. If you can't tell by now, I'm not really the kind of guy that enjoys a good chick flick. Uh, I'm not the kind of guy that enjoys a romantic movie. Um, that's just not my kind of thing. I love like action movies and movies filled with a lot of drama and stuff like that, but I don't like chick flicks. And so my wife, on the other hand, she eats that stuff up. She loves a good chick flick. She loves a good romantic movie. Now, what I did not say was that I was not romantic. I, I'm a very romantic gentleman. I have to be very romantic to my wife. I just don't like watching chick flicks. And so there are times whenever we sit down on a Friday night or a Saturday night, my wife's, you know, it's her time to pick out the movie. Men, if you don't let your wife ever pick out the movie, shame on you. Um, but it's her time to pick out the movie. And so we'll run through the list of all the things that she wants to watch, and she's like, well, what about Downton Abbey, or, or what about Sense and Sensibility, or what about Pride and Prejudice? And in my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, no. <laughs> now, in those moments, I could, do, I could do the very male thing to do. I could do the very chauvinistic thing to do and say, nah, let's, you know, let's put in something else. Or I could submit to my wife and let her choose what she wants to watch. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll do that. Now, here's the funny thing that happens. As I'm sitting down on the couch with my wife, I begin to see her watching this movie. I begin to see her enjoying sitting down beside her romantic man. And here, here's the funny thing. What I did not delight in at first, I now see her enjoyment, and I begin to take delight in the fact that she is enjoying something. And I begin to, I begin to delight in the fact that she is delighting in something. And in the same way, obeying Christ rather than the flesh is very hard at first. It is very hard. But after a while, this repetitive behavior, we begin to enjoy it. We begin to enjoy doing the right thing. And God is honored. God is lifted high. God is maximized. And whenever he is honored, we take joy in that. We take joy in submission. In the beginning, obedience to Christ, it's hard to deny ourselves. But over time, from denying ourselves, Christ is exalted and we begin to take 
delight in that. The second way, the second good posture that we have towards godliness, the second thing that we need to add to our routine is this. Run to God when you mess up rather than running from God. Run to God when you mess up rather than running from God. You see, there's this thing in, in, in the Christian world, we've been doing this for, for a long time now, and I don't understand it, that whenever we mess up, we feel like God is mad at us. God doesn't want to talk to me right now. He's mad at me. He, he doesn't want to hear from me. I'm going to take about two weeks, and then I'll come back and try to do this. I can't pray right now. I can't share the gospel right now. I can't read the Bible right now because I sinned two days ago, and God is mad at me. He does not want to hear from me, and that is a lie. You know, there's one of those things, distorting the word of God. That's it right there, distorting the word of God. God, doesn't, God is mad at me. He doesn't want to hear from me right now. So run to Christ whenever you mess up. Run to Jesus. For, he has forgiveness for you. Sometimes whenever I go and lift weights, I'll, you know, I'll really try my hardest to, to lift and I'll work out for Man, it seems like years, but it's only like 45 minutes, and I'll work out, and I'll work out, and I'll go home that night, and I'll look in the mirror, and I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be doing that anymore. Like, I don't see any difference. Like, I'm not working out that hard if I don't see any difference. But it's this, it's this routine. It's over time that we see changes. One of my favorite authors and pastors, Matt Chandler, says this, and, and I love it. He says, no one stumbles into godliness. We don't, just, we don't just wake up one day and now we're all of a sudden godly and holy. It says no one stumbles into godliness. And get this, the marker of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when they stumble and fall, when they screw up, they run to God and not from him. Because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not predicated upon their behavior but is predicated upon the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You're going to fall flat on your face sometimes and dive headfirst into some sin. You're going to do that. But the marker of a true believer, the marker of someone who understands the gospel is that whenever they fall, whenever they mess up, they don't run from God and take a six-month hiatus, but they immediately run to Jesus and they say, Lord, I need your forgiveness over this. Lord, I need to be forgiven. And they fall flat on their faces and they say, God, forgive me and I want to be restored in the fellowship with you. I know you're not mad at me and I know that I have not been separated from you, but God, I need forgiveness of this sin. We have, to, we have to live in that way. We have to add this to our training. Because if we don't, and we just give up like that every single time, we'll give up every single time. Some of you this morning, you say you believe in Jesus and you've messed up. You've messed up and you've, you've messed your testimony up. And I want to tell you this morning, I want to convey to you this morning, if you do, don't hear anything else, hear this, that Jesus died for that sin. Jesus died for that sin. Amen? He died for it. Not only your past sins, but your present sins and the one that, ones that you will commit in the future. He died for them. That's the reason that he came, was to then die for your sins, and then reconcile you, make you right. His blood was as a 
peace offering to us. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 1. It says that his blood was a peace offering to our hostile souls and our hostile hearts. So run to Christ whenever you mess up, rather than running from him. And then lastly, probably the most important, be motivated by your hope in Jesus rather than hope in yourself. Don't miss that. Be motivated towards godliness, not by hope in yourself, but by hope in Christ. You see, a lot of times we, we're like, man, all right, I'm going to do this godly thing. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. I have the ability to do it. And then you fall flat on your face because you weren't motivated by the right thing. You weren't motivated for the right reasons. Paul says this in, in 1 Timothy 4, 8. He says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then he goes on to say, he says, For to this end we toil and we strive. We toil for godliness. We strive for godliness. You see why he says? Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Believers, we don't press into godliness because we have the ability to do so, but we press into godliness because we are motivated by our hope in Christ. We are motivated by the fact that Jesus is who he says he is and that he would do what he said that we would do. So whenever it comes time for you to, whenever it comes to crunch time for you to make those decisions, be motivated by the fact that one day you will stand before God and you will see him as he actually is. And your faith will be sight. And you will see Jesus. And you'll be, able, you'll be able to touch him. You'll be able to see what he actually looks like. Whenever it comes time to press in the godliness, be motivated by that. Be motivated by the fact that one day I will stand before God and I will see him as he actually is. See, while bodily training is very important and it helps us in this life, training for godliness has eternal repercussions. The decisions that you make today will have repercussions in eternity. Now, ultimately, if we're in Christ, we'll be forgiven, but there are still some decisions that we make that will be felt in eternity. So we're not motivated by ourselves And another thing that we're not motivated is we're not motivated by eternal damnation. We're not motivated by a fear of hell. We're not motivated because we fear hell, because we know that our our sins have already been covered by. Our sins have already been covered by the blood of Jesus. So we're not motivated by hell. That is a bad posture. I'm scared of hell, so I'm going to do right. That won't work. I'm motivated. I'm I'm scared of hell. I'm scared of of eternal damnation, so I'm going to do the right thing. It'll never work. We have to be motivated, and our hope has to be set on the living God who is Jesus. That has to be our motivation. And if it's not, we will fail every time. So believers, I ask you again, how does your life prove that you believe in Jesus. See, there are a lot of people out there who say, I believe in God, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but their lives do not back that up. And so I ask, 
How does your life back up what you say you believe about Jesus? So this morning, um, the band's going to come and play. And there, there are probably all kinds of people on all sides of the spectrum. Some of you this morning, you, you have no relationship with Jesus and all this stuff is very new to you. And I want to convey to you, do not delay and believe in the gospel and allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus to transform and change your life. There are some of you this morning, and you are Christians who have not yet pursued godliness. You are living a lifestyle of sin. And God is calling you this morning to be changed, to press into godliness. There are some of you this morning who are defeated, and you sinned, and you, you have yet to return to Christ and ask for, for forgiveness. And you need to come this morning and say, God, forgive me. I want to be restored in my relationship with you. I want to be made right again. Let's get this thing going. And some of you this morning, you've been motivated by the wrong thing for far too long. And we have to be motivated by Jesus. So this morning, wherever you are, I pray that your first step in godliness would be to take action today. And that you would do whatever it is that you feel like the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. Let's pray. Father, your word is good. And your word is solid. And you have called us as Christians to change the way that we live so that others might see and know that God is good and that the gospel is real, that there is substance, there is meat to the gospel. Lord, I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would change our hearts would convict us of sin and that no matter where we are this morning, that we would take the next step towards believing in Christ. You are good and you do good always. Amen. So wherever you are, I pray that you would worship with us. Uh, my good friend Charlie's going to be in the back. If you don't know Jesus and need a relationship with him, I pray that you wouldn't delay in that. Thank you.